one of the questions I get asked most when I'm in speaking to groups is, do I have a case study? Well, let's, let's take a case study at random today. I was thinking of a couple that I have in the Midwest, and they're investing for the first time. They own their home. Between the two of them, they make about $180,000 a year. They're good savers. They're saving around $3,000 a month after taxes, after lifestyle, and most importantly, after kids. Now, they've saved up and saved up and saved up, and they have enough to buy their first piece of investment real estate. It's going to cost them about $85,000 for down payment and closing. So when they do that, the immediate return is going to be give or take $5,000 a month. Now, it could be more than that. I have clients telling me they're doing a lot more than that. But that's, that's what I say is probably going to be the real-life return. It's going to be a duplex. It's going to be in Texas. Uh, they're going to pay somewhere around $330, $320, $335 for it. It's going to get a lot of rent, probably a total of uh, $1,400 to $1,500 a month per side. There's two doors, right? So that's, that part's cool. It's taken care of. It pays for itself. There's cash flow. At her work, she's on her a, a new job she's been on for only about a year. Her previous employer has a 401k that she has not rolled over yet. And it has over $150,000 in it. We're going to have her roll that into a self-directed IRA. John Park's going to help her with that. He's my in-house expert, and he really knows what's what when it comes to self-directed retirement accounts. Not only IRA, but, but 401ks also. The husband doesn't have an IRA. He has a 401k at work. He's been there quite a while, and he has, give or take, about $240,000-$50,000 in his uh, 401k at work. Now, I'm telling both of them that I think it's the best thing for them to do to stop contributing to either one of their work-related 401ks. We don't have to go through the whole rant I have on 401ks at work. Suffice to say that uh, between the two of them, they're spending around $2,500 a month uh, on their 401ks, and it's getting them nowhere in a real hurry. Now, that $2,500 at their tax bracket and with their children, they have two, they have two kids. Um, he's 41, she's 39. They're at a point right now where the kids are still in elementary school. One's about to go to middle. They've got to think about the kids' college education. They've got to think about when they're going to retire. And we think it's possible for them to retire, give or take, in about 20 years. In other words, right around when he's 60, 61, and she's almost 60. Now, how do we do that? Here's the plan. And this is a real-life ongoing case study. They're going to take the $2,500 a month that we're, they're putting in, and they're going to take an after-tax $1,000. So they're actually saving money, at least $500 a month by doing this. So instead of putting $2,500 a month in their 401k, they're going to be putting $1,000 a month indexed to inflation on an EIUL. And that EIUL, which is an insurance policy, the short version is you invest in it not for a death benefit, but for 
tax-free retirement income for many, many years beginning at your retirement. An example is, I always like to use my own family. My daughter starts hers real soon with my son-in-law. It's about 500 a month attached to inflation for 30 years. They're 31 and 32. At 61 and 62, they'll do over 100,000 a year into their early 90s, all of it tax-free every year. So that's not bad. You think you're going to do six figures on your 401k in retirement? No, nobody would say that. So what's going to happen is these people will put in about $1,000 a month that will be attached to inflation. They'll do it for 20 years. The least that they're going to come up with is about 100000 or more. We'll call it 100000 to be conservative. That's tax-free. They'll have it for 20 or 30 years after retirement. That's a nice pillar. I have four pillars in my retirement. Now the next two pillars are going to be notes, one in their own name and one with their self-directed retirement accounts. Now her money will be invested uh, in a self-directed IRA and he's going to establish a self-directed Roth IRA. We have to decide with her how quickly she can convert her pre-tax money into Roth money, but it's gonna—it's very expensive when you do that because it gets added to your ordinary income, and they make a lot of money every year. Now, because they make more than $150,000, the duplex they buy, we're exploring the possibility of using a cost segregation approach to depreciation. All that does is double the amount of depreciation in terms of dollars that they will have at their disposal every year. So instead of about 10,000, they'll have about 20,000. How does that help them? Well, because they make more than 150, the Internal Revenue Code does not allow them to take any extra, quote, extra depreciation after covering the property's cash flow against their ordinary income. Now, the IRS calls your job income ordinary income. So if they're, if they're sheltering 5000 with that $20,000, that means they've got $15,000 a year of depreciation that they're barred from using by the, by the tax code rules. So that $15,000 gets shuttled to the sidelines. Now, they do that for five years. At the end of that five-year period, they're kind of out of most of that depreciation, not all of it, but most of it. That's one of the downsides of using cost segregation. But see, they're going to sell that property, so they're, gonna, they're not really going to have that problem. They're going to have five years times $15,000 of unused depreciation. That's $75,000. They will have taken much of their savings and the savings of five to $800 a month they, they got from not putting money into their 401ks at work anymore. And they're going to add all that together together with the cash flow on the duplex and any money they get in group investments that they put in with cash they have extra after investing in real estate. And they're going to pay off that duplex loan in five years. Well, why would they do that? Stay with me here because this is a very well thought out plan. This is a, what I call the cost segregation strategy. They sell that property. 
let's say they paid 330 and after after their cost of sale in five years that property barely went up enough just to pay the t cost of selling they they, they paid 330 the net proceeds are 330 well they're going to have a tax liability counting the very expensive 25 percent depreciation recapture tax and possibly some capital gains taxes that's going to amount to twenty to twenty five thousand dollars let's call it twenty five thousand so we'll put that on the tax liability side however because they sold that property the IRS can no longer stop them from using that $75,000 of depreciation that they had to put on the sidelines for five years. That means if, let's say by five years, they're not making 175, 180 grand a year, let's say that time, by that time, they made 200,000 between the two of them. Well, when they do their tax return that year, that means before their accountant even starts sharpening his pencil, doing their tax return, that 75000 is going to reduce their 200000 before tax income to 125000 Right away, right off the top. They haven't even done anything else in their tax return because they'll lower that one twenty five for sure because their tax expert's pretty good. But that means that $75,000 alone saved them, give or take, at least... 16 to 18,000 federally and about 7% state tax. So bottom line when you get to it that 75 is going to save them around 21 to 23,000. Let's back it down to 20. So they owe 25, they saved 20,000. Net 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 they got that 330,000 in the bank and it only cost them $5,000 in net taxes not bad. So what do we do with that? You take half of that 330000 and you replace that duplex you just sold with two more. Now you've got twice the real estate. The difference is you're going to take half of that 330000 and you're not going to buy any more real estate with it. You're going to buy discounted notes. Or you might get into a group that buys those uh, non-performing notes with the higher profit yields. Might do a combination of both. Who knows what they're going to do in five years? None of us has a crystal ball that's reliable, right? So what happens? In five years, the husband is 46, she's 41, and all they're doing is rinsing and repeating, except for the fact they've added a new portfolio to their plan, notes in their own name. They've already invested for five years in notes in their retirement self-directed plans names. So they've got notes in a self-directed plan for each. They have notes in their own name. They have real estate in their own name. And they have an EIUL. Now let's try to fast forward, and I'm going to be ultra conservative so we don't drag this out. If they rinse and repeat on the cost segregation, and instead of doubling the amount of real estate each time, because although you can absolutely do that, you don't want to use the cost segregation on twice the property each time because they simply won't have the income to retire that, that amount of money in loans, right? Just common sense tells you that. So when they're 59 and a half and they've done the cost said thing three separate times minimum, they will have acquired, by the time they retire, no no less 
than six duplexes. Those six duplexes, free and clear, and they will be free and clear, will give them around $10,000 a month based on the rents 20 years before they retire. Okay? See how conservative we're being. Now that's $10,000 a month, at which time 40 to 50% will be completely tax sheltered for at least 20 years. Now, their EIUL kicks in and it's a minimum of 100,000 tax free. They have notes in both of their uh, Roth IRAs that over time was converted to Roth for her and started out Roth for him. Very, very, very conservatively, between the two of them, they have $80,000 a year in tax-free note income. Remember, they did it for 20 years. Their taxes uh, on capital gains didn't exist inside those plans, right? They're Roth, so they're not going to pay taxes on that income. And when they retire, they're not going to stop investing in notes. They'll just start taking the note income out instead of, instead of reinvesting. They'll only be reinvesting when each note pays off. And every time they do that, that tax-free profit will be spent to buy a higher income slightly. They'll be getting raises in retirement. How does that work, right? So you got $180,000 in EIUL and tax-free note income, and you've got $120,000 in real estate, 40 to 50% of which is sheltered. Now, what about the note income in their own name? I don't know how much that's going to be. Let's be incredibly conservative and call it $50,000 a year. That $50,000 a year is going to be mostly taxable because that interest in your own name is taxable as if you went to work every day. Same kind of income. They call it ordinary income. However you want to call it, they're going to tax it at the higher rate. So they've got 120000 give or take half of which is sheltered. They've got 50000 completely taxable income in notes in their own name. We're up to 170. They've got about 100,000 from an EIUL. That's 270. And they've got about, let's call it, let's be really conservative and call it 80,000 tax-free in their retirement accounts from note income. We've got $250,000, a quarter million dollars, far over half of which is tax-free by the code definition. And these are regular folks. Their plan was incredibly boring. The risk was mitigated at every possible stop. Nobody was being a pioneer. Nobody was on the bleeding edge. I'm not that guy. Everything had a prudent down payment, usually a minimum of 25, 30% on their real estate. Somebody else managed it for them. Their only problem in retirement is they can't be in Tuscany and the Caribbean islands at the same time. I'll catch you next time.